0: Okay, is everybody having a good time? It is fun. It is well. All right, as you're still coming in, what I would like to do you know, it takes a lot of uh, preparation and a lot of work to put on one of these events. And uh, we just want to acknowledge, uh, first of all, all the students that have participated in this. And I just tell you that. You know, they just really have a servant attitude around here. And they're just excited. I think what helps is they're excited for everybody being here and the potential and the ability that they see in this and what it's done to their life. So I think it makes it that much more exciting. So if you are a student and you volunteered for any position to help this weekend go, would you please stand up? Just go ahead and look around to see how many people... You know, I wish I could recognize every one of them but there's, there's a lot and we couldn't do that but I do want to recognize just several that have really headed this up so if uh, Tom and Leslie are you in here? come on up how about Brian and Sherry? Brian and Sherry come on up and then Kim where's Kim? Kim isn't here yet oh there she is and Beth come on up and I'll just start, and I, um, again, I wish I could recognize everybody, but uh, the, this group right here have really led this event uh, for the week. So this is Brian and Sherry Sheehan, and they're first-year students, and they're going to oversee it next year. So they're in training, so give them a big hand. And, uh, you know, they help oversee from the parking to, I mean, there, there's so much ushering in, in the food and parking and all of that. It it just keeps on going. So we just wanted to acknowledge them. And then Tom and Leslie O'Brien, they're our second-year students, and they really led this program. They've done a wonderful job. And this is Kim Harrison. She is our event coordinator, and she really oversaw everything. And actually, she has an announcement here, so... details (laughs)
1: i'm the detail lady hikers remember meet here at two o'clock in the parking lot okay it has been an honor to serve you you future students we can't wait to see you next year all of you every one of you okay thank you for coming
0: all right and last but not least this is beth lant and she is actually on staff she is our registrar (laughs) And the reason I called her up here is because she is going to lead the registration process in the room across the hall next hour. So look for her next hour. If you plan on registering for school, uh, she will be in there with the team. And we have tables set up, chairs, pens, applications, and uh, we want you. And uh, so uh, she is going to head that up. So look for her if you have any questions. And, again, we have a team to do that. So let's give them another warm welcome for what they've done. And, and after Andrew gets done speaking and um, giving that final charge, um, for those of you that want to register, um, we're just going to go right over across the hall where the product table was. We have the table set up in there, and we just want to encourage you to go over there right away and uh, begin the registration process, okay? All right. And here's Andrew.
1: So I heard that <laughs>
2: Okay, I was asking Gary, I heard that somebody had donated $100 to help someone else register. They did it anonymously, they don't want to let you know who it is, and I don't know how we're going to divvy it out, so uh, I think you have to duke it out, amen? (laughs) I don't know how we're going to do that, but uh, anyway, if somebody really feels impressed to come, excuse me, first person up here. Up there? To the registration table. First person to the registration table, and you can't go now. It's going to be after this service. And uh, we'd be glad to have you. Catherine, come up here. This is Catherine. She's a first-year student, and she felt like uh, that the Lord had something for her to share from the first-year class to the uh, future class. Amen. The class...
1: The Holy Spirit has asked me, 2012 class, um, to give you a message. Um, We are the largest class, the class of 2011. If you figured out yet, if we've got the blue lanyard on, we are first-year students. The green ones are the second-year students. And the red ones are the apprentices, which means they're in their third year. Next year, we are going to be... um, a year ahead of you, and we know that you're probably coming with some fear and some, I don't know, reservations. And we have been classified as the class of love. Um, And that was given to us by one of our instructors, one of our favorite female instructors. Um, You have heard from our commander-in-chief, and our king. <laughs> Did you know he yeah. called We're gonna have a debriefing
2: well. after this and find <laughs> all <right
1: after. laughs> She may still be a person. I'd like that because I told you I wanted to fail so I could go to Woodland Park. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> anyway, the Holy Spirit asked me to just kind of put the icing on the cake. You've heard from the staff, and um, of course, what you need to do is hear from some students. And if you cannot feel the love in this room, your wood's wet? That's right. <laughs> our wood came a little wet, but as we've been here, our wood got wet with kerosene, And we are on fire. We are also the class of warriors. We were whiners a little bit, but now we're warriors. So as you come into um, the school next year, this year I guess, we want to guarantee you something. And if I can have the class of 2011 stand up right now, All of us. We'd like you to look around and just notice what class will be ahead of you. And we are going to guarantee you to be loved. You're going to leave family, but you're also coming to family. We will love you and take care of you. We promise you that. So don't think you're coming and you're just going to be here by yourself because you're not. We will love you and we will teach you how to be warriors and not whiners.
2: Thank you. God bless you. you. Praise the Lord. So the class of 2011 is about to lose their position of being the largest class. So, you know, we don't know what the enrollment will be in September, but the pre-registrations at this time are like, um, I think it's three to four times what it was this time last year. So, praise God, we're going to have a lot of new people coming in. So how many of you that have been here, I've had you raise your hand if you were interested in coming to school. How many of you that are here have decided that God wants you to come to school? Could I see your hand?
1: Praise the Lord.
2: Praise the Lord. So, how many of you have already registered? Praise the Lord. Well, immediately after this session, we are going to have that registration. And, you know, I encourage you to do something and uh, go over there and register. One of the reasons that we really encourage this is because people get stirred up at something like this. You get in the presence of the Lord, man, your heart bears witness, you get excited about it, and then you go home, and if you aren't careful, the cares of life, the deceitfulness of riches, the lust of other things will enter back in, and you'll wind up being the same as you were. And so uh, we encourage you that if you really feel that God has spoken to you, to do something, to put some motion to your boat, and registration is usually the main thing. Uh, once you register, uh, you know, it's good. If If you don't come in September, it doesn't mean that you... Uh, lose your registration it's good once you put it down and so anyway if you feel like God's told you to do it we really do encourage you to register and we'll be having that right after this session let's turn back over to 1st Kings we're now in 1st Kings chapter 19 I've already talked about how Elijah had a word from God And God told him to go there. He sent his provision not to where he was, but where he told him to go. And the problem is that some of us aren't all there. So we've got to go there. Our provision is waiting where God has told us to do things. We talked about in the 18th chapter where he had a word from God. He went and challenged the prophets of Baal. And man, I really felt it was important last night that we need to start walking in the supernatural power of God and not just verbally telling people who God is but we need some demonstration in power and this is what uh, Paul did this is what Jesus did and this is what Elijah did and so we've already covered all of that talked about how he ended the drought prayed and persevered and saw the rains come and outran a chariot 20 miles that's pretty good but and there seems like there's always a but did you know that the Lord is very candid in Scripture about showing all of the problems of people as well as the good things. And it's amazing to me how that we sometimes miss this and we think that God only uses people that are perfect and have it all together because God is very, very, very uh, candid with exposing people's problems like David, this man after God's own heart committed adultery and murdered to cover up his adultery. Moses killed a man and Moses... ...ran and did all kinds of things... ...and got angry and smote the rock... ...when God told him to speak to it... ...and and God shows all of these problems... ...and yet it's still... ...somehow or another people just miss this... ...and think that you got to be perfect. God's never had anybody qualified working for Him yet. God uses us in spite of problems in our life. And so here's Elijah... ...who had seen these wonderful things happen... ...but in the 19th chapter... ...after seeing all of these awesome things... ...the first person in history raised from the dead... Fire called down from heaven and consumed the sacrifice. Killed either 450 or 850 prophets and ended the drought. Out ran a chariot, did all of these things. It says in chapter 19, And Ahab, the king of Israel, told Jezebel, his wife, all that Elijah had done and withal how he had slain all the prophets with the sword. So he had to tell her. In other words, she didn't come. She was absolutely adamant that she wasn't going to receive anything elijah had to say and so she didn't even show up and because she wasn't there she wasn't awed or in fear of the power and the demonstration of god and you know what this is just something that we still see today people that don't see the demonstration of the power of god that haven't experienced it they don't reverence god the way that other people have ahab was there and he saw it and he didn't say a word to Elijah. He let Elijah kill all of these prophets because Elijah was definitely in control. The power of God was on his side, but Jezebel wasn't there. And so because of this, she was incensed. And in verse 2 it says, Then Jezebel, Jezebel sent a messenger unto Elijah, saying, So let the gods do to me and more also, if I make not thy life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. Now Jezebel, I don't doubt, wanted Elijah dead. I don't doubt that at all. She hated him and she wanted him dead. But you know, if Jezebel really was going to kill him, she would have sent a, a messenger with a sword, not a messenger with a note. I believe that just like so many people, we see this in our day and time, there's tyrants that have been in power and yet when people rise up and rebel, and you've got to remember the entire nation had fallen on their face and said, the Lord, He is the God, the Lord, He is the God. And they, uh, you know, tyrants can't just rule over people. If there was a total rebellion against Jezebel, she couldn't do anything. I believe she wanted Elijah dead, but if she really was going to just kill him, she would have sent a soldier with a sword. She sent a messenger with a note trying to intimidate him. And man, there's so much that we can take from this. I'm not going to take time to preach on all of this, but I encourage you to let the Holy Spirit speak to you. Because you know Satan, most of what he does is intimidation. Satan really can't do that much it's just all of the things that He puts fear in your heart and gets you to thinking He's going to do all of this stuff. And he, he intimidates people and shuts them up through intimidation. I believe that Jezebel was bluffing. If she really was going to kill him, she would have killed him, not have warned him that she was going to kill him. She was trying to intimidate him, and the sad thing is it worked. In verse 3 it says, When he saw that, when he saw what? She said, God do so to me and more also if I make not your life like the life of one of these prophets by tomorrow. Now, if you remember back in the 18th chapter when we were talking last night, uh, after he had called fire down from heaven, he went down and he took a sword and he killed at least 450. It mentions the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of the grove. We don't know if he killed all 850 or 450, but he killed... Hundreds of these priests. He did it. He didn't have somebody else do it. He did it. Now, think about this. You know, I don't know how many people we have in here, but we have at least 400, maybe 400, 500 people. (laughs) Can you imagine what it would be like to see four or 500 people dead, slain by a sword? And the guy who did it, could you imagine how covered in blood he would have been? Man, this was very graphic. And it was only the day before that Elijah was absolutely covered in blood, saw 400 or 800 people laying dead that he had slain with a sword. And she said, so do God to me and more also if you aren't like one of those. And when he saw that, you know what happened? He saw himself dead. He saw himself like one of those people that he had killed, that he had dismembered. He saw it. And man, there is a great message in this. I wish I had an hour to teach you on that. But what you see on the inside dictates how you're going to act on the outside. Some of us don't see ourselves as we truly are in Christ. We see ourselves the way our parents told us, you know, that you're never going to amount to anything, you don't do anything right. We see ourselves the way a previous mate saw us, the way a previous boss has seen us, and people have said things. And basically, how you see yourself determines on what your actions are going to be. And Elijah saw himself dead. And because of that, fear hit him and he ran. Let me make one other point before I go on with this. And this is, this is really important. This is something... You know, when Tony was talking this morning about Bible school and different things, I was, I was thinking about one of the benefits of a Bible college is that you have seasoned ministers. I mean, like Wendell, you know, 150 years. And we've been through things. And because of it, you get a perspective that you don't have. You can know what the Word says. You could be like Elijah, and you could be a powerful, powerful man of God that has seen people raised from the dead, fire fall from heaven, end a drought, do all of these things, cause a nationwide revival. And yet, there are some things that you just learn by experience. It's not to say that experience trumps the Word of God, but over a period of time, as you experience things, you, you understand the Word of God. Better And one of those things is, and this is really important that you get this, that when you are at your strongest is when you're the weakest. Paul said it this way over in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. He says, when I'm weak, then I'm strong. The opposite of that is that when you're strong in yourself, you are weak. When you get lifted up with pride, you are headed for a fall. And you know, Elijah had done things that no other person in history had ever done. No other person in history had ever done what Elijah did. Nobody had ever been raised from the dead prior to him raising the widow's son. Nobody had ever called for a duel between the forces of good and the forces of evil. Nobody had called fire down out of heaven and consumed a sacrifice like this. Nobody had ever done the things that he had done. He was just a string of unbroken successes. And did you know what? That makes you super vulnerable. Most people tend to think that when you're in crisis, and you know, I've seen these plaques and signs that, you know, when you get squeezed, when you're under pressure, we find out what you're, what's really inside of you. Actually, it's the opposite. It's when all pressure is removed that you find out what's really on the inside of you. A person who has even a minimal commitment to the Lord will serve the Lord and seek the Lord when their back is against the wall because what option do you have? You're in a crisis situation. The doctors can't help you. The bankers can't help you. It's beyond human ability. And man, anybody who has half of a commitment to the Lord will seek the Lord in a in a crisis time. That's really not... The, the biggest time of temptation in your life. But the biggest time of temptation that you will ever have is when you are so prosperous, everything has gone so well that you don't feel any pressure. The pressure is off and you tend to rely upon yourself and get to thinking that, you know, man, everything's wonderful, I'm doing great. And the moment you get your attention off of Jesus, the author and the finisher of your faith, you are going to sink like, like Peter did in the 14th chapter of the book of Matthew. You are your most vulnerable when everything is going good. I can't tell you how important that is. Some of you don't know how important that is. I was talking to one of our Bible college graduates a day or two ago, and they were saying something about men, how that they really wish that they could come back and take it all over now that they've been out there doing it for a while. And I said, I've often said that the best scenario would be to get people who've already been in the ministry for 10 years to come to Bible school, and you would appreciate what you're learning here more. Because you, you leave here thinking, well, man, I'm gonna, I've got all this stuff, and now everything's going to be great. And if you aren't careful, if you have nothing but success, you'll get to thinking, man, I can do anything. And that's when you are vulnerable. You need to recognize, like Tony was sharing earlier, that, man, we've got no reason to take pride in any of these things or to be arrogant about it. We haven't done anything that we haven't received. God is the source of it. And it's because during those hard times we sought the Lord and said and trusted God that God brought these things to pass. The moment you get lifted up and start thinking that you're somebody special is when you are vulnerable. And this is exactly what happened to Elijah because look at this. It says in verse 3, When he saw that, he arose and went for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongeth to Judah, And left his servant there, but he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a juniper tree. And he requested for himself that he might die and said, It is enough now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am not better than my father's. Well, that's a revealing statement. God, it turns out I'm not any better than my father's. He never was any better than his father's. None of these things happened because of who he was and because of his great ability. It was God's power flowing through him, and it's because he got a word from God and because he obeyed and acted on the word that these things happened. But this statement reveals that he had thought he was better than his fathers. Nobody had ever seen a person raised from the dead. I'm somebody special. Nobody had ever called fire down out of heaven. Nobody had ever caused a revival like this. He got to reading his own press releases. And you know what? When you are lifted up is when you are vulnerable. Amen. Amen. So there's a lot we can learn from Elijah. Not only good, but bad. And that is that when everything is going good, boy, you need to be seeking God more than you've ever sought Him in your life. Because you have a tendency to feel like, God, I'm, I'm not in a Christ. I don't need you as much. You need God during the good times and the bad times. And actually, you need God in the good times more than you need the bad times because you aren't as aware of your need for God. And you have to fo- force yourself to have a dependency upon God. Boy, that's important. That's really important. I know that there's some of you listening that won't take this to heart, and unless the Lord intervenes, someday you'll see great things happen and you'll bite the dust And you'll remember this and think, I wished I'd have remembered. Praise God. You need to just say, God, burn this thing into my heart because this is a truth. That I guarantee you, if, if you look at the body of Christ, from my perspective, I'm not maybe the greatest student of history in the body of Christ, but every person I know who fails, if you look at them and just analyze what was going on, I believe that this is what's happened right here. I remember when Jimmy Swagger, some of you may not remember this, you may not have been seeking the Lord, but when Jimmy Swagger fell and he got on television and made his confession, uh, I watched that to say, God, how could this happen? A man that was reaching more people with the gospel than any person in the history of the world at that time, he was reaching more people than anybody else. His income back in the 80s was $8 million a month. Today, it would be, I don't know what that would be equivalent to, but it was one of the largest ministries in the world, and Jimmy Swagger was being used of God, and he traded it all in for a prostitute. Not even somebody that he had a long-term relationship with, a one-night stand. You just wonder, what, you know, did somebody, aliens abduct him and suck his brains out? What in the world causes a person to do something like this? And I was listening to his confession... And I was watching him and he stood there and he started saying, I have preached to more people than Jesus ever preached to. I have done more than Jesus did. And then he says, I thought I could do anything. And the moment he said that, I said, there it is right there. You know, it's not when you're in a plane flying, it's not you flying. It's the plane that's flying. And it's your relative position in that plane that allows you to fly at 500 miles an hour and 36,000 feet. And if you don't believe it, step outside of the plane and see what happens. It's not you flying. It's that plane that's flying. And you've got to stay in that plane. And you've got to stay... Uh, attached to that plane to be able to do those things. And it's Jesus that gives us our strength and our power. And if you ever step outside of Jesus, I don't care how high you're flying, how fast you're going, you step outside of Jesus and you are going to fall. And that's exactly what Jimmy Swagger said. You know, Tiger Woods basically said the same thing when he gave his confession just a month or so ago. He thought I was special. I thought that the rules didn't apply to me. I thought that I could do anything. Of course, he wasn't in the Lord to start with, but he lost any humility and any uh, sensitivity he had in thinking that he had to do things like everybody else, and he got to reading his own press releases and thought he was special. I'm telling you, pride and the temptations of pride and success are infinitely stronger than the, the temptations of failure and pressure. And very few people see it that way. And that's the reason that very few people can handle success. I tell you, this is what brings people down. This is what brings ministers down. There's a tremendous lesson to learn here. He says, take away my life. In other words, he wasn't going to kill himself. That was wrong. So he asked God to do it. This is spiritual suicide. (laughs) Oh, God, kill me. He was he was so despondent, he was ready to die, and he he was ashamed, because he had withstood Ahab, all of the armies, all of the prophets of Baal, the entire nation, and withstood them, and yet a woman came against him with a note, and he ran. <laughs> and he was ashamed. And so the Lord, um, anyway, the Lord spoke to him, and, and an angel appeared and gave him some food and told him to eat, and he ate and went back to sleep. And the uh, angel woke him up and said, The journey is too great for you. Eat some more. So he ate this food and went in the strength of that food for 40 days and 40 nights. must have been supernatural uh, nutrition that God gave him. And he went to Mount Horeb and appeared before the Lord. And... um, So in verse 9, it says, He came thither unto a cave and lodged there, and behold, the word of the Lord came unto him, and he said unto him, What doest thou here, Elijah? If you remember my teaching from yesterday about that God sends your provision to there, not here. There's a place called there. You have to be all there in order to do it. And God says, Elijah, what are you doing here? i called you to be there. There was the greatest revival that had ever taken place in the history of the nation, and Elijah was the one that God was using to lead it, and he wasn't there. He had run off. One of the greatest opportunities to see a nation. You know, there's no telling what the history would have been like if Elijah would have followed through with God's plan. It could have totally changed that nation, it could have brought the nation of Israel back to God. Who knows what the results of it is? You know, it's really useless to try and figure it out. We can't guess what might have been but it would have been different than what it was. And he wasn't there, he was here. And God says, what are you doing here? And look at this, he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thine altars, and slain thy prophets with the sword, and I, even I only, am left, and these seek my life to take it. Do you remember what I said yesterday over here in chapter 18, verse 13, when Obadiah meant... Elijah, he says, was it not told my Lord what I did when Jezebel slew the prophets of the Lord, how I hid a hundred men of the Lord's prophets by 50 in a cave and fed them with bread and water. This is just a couple of days, or well, by the time he went 40 days, it would have been just a month or so before he's having this encounter with the Lord. And God said, what are you doing here? And he says, Lord, I'm the only one. I'm the only one. Everybody else has forsaken you. He had this information that there were a hundred prophets that were being hid in the cave and fed during this entire time. He knew better. He knew what he was saying wasn't true. And yet he felt it so strongly that I'm the only one that he was basically trying to justify his position. And let me just say this. that You know, this happens all the time. When people get discouraged... When you have depression come against you, you know that the things you're feeling aren't true. And yet you say them anyway. Yet you believe it anyway. People will say things like, nobody loves me. And you know that's not true. You know your mother or your father or your somebody, your dog, your cat (laughs) loves you. But you just feel like nobody loves you because one person has rejected you or something. You know, in our ministry, we have 40,000 people a month contact us, and yet one criticism can just send ripples through the ministry. One person being upset, and you, and you get the feeling like, <laughs> but they aren't receiving God. Three, 39,999 just love you, and one person, oh God, everybody's mad at me. There's times that you feel that way. And this is what Elijah was doing. He knew that there were still prophets. He knew there were people seeking God, but he just went by his feelings. Well, I tell you, I'm not trying to condemn Elijah, but what we have is better. We have the Holy Spirit with us. Tony was talking about that. We have the Holy Spirit poured out upon us. And Jesus said that John was the greatest among all Old Testament prophets. So John was greater than Elijah, and yet he is the least In the kingdom of heaven. If you are the worst saint sitting in this room, you have more power and anointing than what Elijah had. And we shouldn't be submitted to these same things. Sometimes when you feel like everybody's against you and nothing works and nothing ever works out right for you, I don't care how much you feel it. You just have to pull your thumb out of your mouth and have to act on what you know the Word of God says. And the Word of God says that, praise God, you aren't the only one. There's other people. It's not as bad. You need to go by what you know to be true than rather just what you feel. Boy, that is a powerful truth. And I tell you, so many people, you, you just feel something so passionately. It doesn't matter what truth is to you. Feeling is truth to most people. That is wrong, 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 wrong. We had one of our Bible college students, I listened to one of their tapes that they made, and they were a great person. I, re- I still have a good relationship with them. But they were counseling a girl who is a daughter of some of their best friends. And this daughter was ragging on her parents and talking about how that they just were so oppressive and so mean and had ruined her life, and uh, she was trying to counsel this girl. And this woman said, I know the parents. They're good friends. And what the girl was saying wasn't true. She knew that it wasn't true. They were strict, but they were doing it out of love. And she said, it was not true, but that's the way that the girl perceived it. And she said, therefore, it didn't matter what truth was. That was truth to her. And so she dealt with this girl... As if everything she was saying was true and told her how to forgive her parents and how to do all this stuff. And man, I got so mad it was a cassette tape. I took it and threw it out the window. I mean, it made me furious to think, man, that is the wrong way to counsel a person. Well, maybe I'm not right, but this is how I feel. Man, if you are letting feelings dominate your life, you are a wreck waiting to happen. You need to recognize that there's times that sure you feel things that are wrong and sure you feel fear. But you need to do what you know is true. You need to find out that truth and feelings do not always coincide. They don't always work together. Man, there's some of the times that I felt like nothing was happening when I prayed for a person. I remember praying for a woman in Chicago that had only heard me on the television for one week. And she had cancer. She was so far gone. She was in this kind of wheelchair stretcher thing where she was reclined and she couldn't even talk. She was so doped up, she couldn't even talk to me. Her family brought her to one of my meetings. And I went in and she had been listening for one week in this doped up state. The doctor said that she should have been dead weeks ago. She was just about gone. She's as bad as any person I'd ever seen. And anyway, I tried to talk to them, but they were so new, they didn't have any foundation. I only had about 10 minutes to pray with this woman. I couldn't explain things. And you know what, I just decided, well, praise God, I'm just going to pray and, and uh, go on. And I prayed for her, did my best shot, and as we were leaving the hotel room, I started to turn to David Hardesty, who was with me, and say, well, she's going to die. It's too little, too late. They don't believe. They don't know what faith is. And I started to say it, but I just decided, well, praise God, I'm not going to say that. Who knows? Maybe something will happen. So I just bit my lip and didn't say what I thought. And three months later, I was at a meeting and she came and jumps on the stage and runs up there and just totally healed and set free. I didn't feel like she was going to be healed, but praise God, I had enough sense not to say what I felt. Boy, this is powerful. I could stay on this for an hour or two. I got a lot more I want to say, but it's so important Elijah knew what he was saying. wasn't true. He knew it intellectually, but he felt it so strong that he's going to go ahead and say what he feels, and I guarantee you that is a step towards disaster. You're going to have to get to where you rein your emotions in. You control your emotions, and you grow up and do what you know the Word of God tells you to do. I don't care how you feel. There's times that I don't feel like getting up and preaching. There's times I don't feel like going to a meeting. But this is what God has called me to do, and I do it. And really, when I'm my weakest, when I don't feel things, and I go ahead and do it is when I see the greatest results because it's more faith than when I'm feeling all of these tinglings and anointings and stuff like that. You just got to get to where you do the right thing regardless of how you feel. And I tell you, our generation is so dominated by emotions. If I I could, like I said, camp on this, and I'm not saying this to hurt anybody, but most of the people in here are more dominated by emotions than what God ever intended us to be. Over in Ephesians chapter 4, it says, "...who being past feeling have given themselves over unto lasciviousness." What that's describing is that God gave us emotions, and emotions are a great thing if you use them correctly. But there are people that have gone beyond the normal use of emotions to where they're into lasciviousness, to where you are emotions are your god. If you don't feel something, then it's not real. Man, you just can't live that way. That's a that's a bondage way of living. And so Elijah was sitting here saying, "I'm the only one," when he knew that that was not true. And so God told him in verse 11, "...go and stand in the opening of the cave." And here came this great wind. Here came an earthquake. Here came a mighty fire. All of these dramatic, flashy things. And I mentioned this earlier, that see, Elijah had seen so many supernatural manifestations that if you aren't careful, you'll become a supernatural junkie. You'll get to where you can't live without God speaking to you through a prophecy or through something. And you'll miss just the still, small voice, the leading of the Lord. So here is Elijah waiting for God to speak. And here came all of these miraculous things, and yet God wasn't in any of the miraculous things. And so, He came to Him a second time, and there was just this still, small voice. In verse uh, third, uh, verse 12, it says, And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still, small voice. Just the little whisper that God speaks to all of us. Just the... You know, God's speaking to us in a simple way. There's so many people that miss God because they're looking for the spectacular and they miss just the simple leading of the Lord that He speaks to all of us. But you know, when God speaks, when you really hear God's voice, whether it's even if it's, if it's just in your own heart, well, when God speaks to you, it's overwhelming. Amen. To think that Almighty God, who could speak in a mighty fire or an earthquake or a wind, he humbles himself and comes in just the most simple, humble way and speaks to you. It's overwhelming when you stop and think about it. And God spoke to him in just a still, small voice. And it says in verse 13, It was so when Elijah heard it that he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood in the entering of the cave. And behold, there came a voice unto him and said, What doest thou here, Elijah? Same question. God asked him a question earlier. What are you doing here, Elijah? And Elijah gave the... I'm the only one. I've been fighting for you and I'm the only one left serving you. You know what? If God asks you the same question a second time, it's probably because you failed the test the first time. You shouldn't give the same answer. Elijah gives the exact same answer. He says, I've been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts because of the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant. Thrown down thine altar and slain thy prophets with the sword, and I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. You know, he failed. And you know what the end result of this was? God told him, He says, All right, go anoint your replacement. You know, again, I'm reading between the lines, and you could take issue with what I'm saying, but I've studied this a lot, and this is what I really believe happened. I believe that if he would have answered differently, if he would have said, God, I'm wrong. I repent, I got into fear, I thought I was better than my fathers, and I failed you, forgive me. I believe God would have reinstated him and things would have gone on, but because he maintained his righteousness, I've been jealous, I've done this, and he was maintaining and promoting his own self. God said, "All right, go anoint your replacement. And he missed out on what God really called him to do. He did not see the total will of God fulfilled in his life. And so here's what the Lord said in verse 15. The Lord said unto him, Go return on thy way to the wilderness of Damascus, and when thou comest, anoint Haziel to be king over Syria, and Jehu the son of Nimshi shalt thou anoint to be king over Israel, and Elisha the son of Sepat, of however you pronounce that, shalt thou anoint to be prophet in thy room. And if you read the rest of this, it says um, in verse 17, It shall come to pass that he that escapeth the swords of Ahaziel shall um, Jehu slay, and him that escapeth the sword of Jehu shall Elisha slay. And then he says, Yet I have left me seven thousand in Israel, all of the knees which have not bowed unto Baal, and every mouth which hath not kissed him. There was more than just the hundred that Elijah had been told about. There was, there was actually 7,000. God always has more going on than what you can perceive with your little peanut brain. In our negative world today, we only hear the bad stuff. We don't hear the good stuff. There's a lot of wonderful things going on. You know, I remember just a year ago I was in England and I met a man who's been going to, I forget which country it is, but one of these countries where the sex trade is so big and they sell these little girls you know we got Mike and Pat Heiser back here and they just they they're in Kenya, they're missionaries in Kenya and they sent me an email about this little 4-year-old girl that had already been mutilated, circumcised and sold for 12 cows to be somebody's husband at 4 years old. And these terrible things and they're rescuing little girls like this and helping them. And uh This man heard about this, and you know what he did? For the last 20-something years, he has been working day and night and then traveling to this country and buying the girls and putting them into homes and taking care of them, and he has put hundreds of thousands of dollars of his own money into just helping people and doing what he can. There's people like that all over the world. There's awesome things happening that you'll never hear about on the news media. Mike and Pat Hauser have given their life for preaching the gospel, and over there in Kenya, running uh, orphanages, uh, ministering to people. Uh, They've got a Bible school, doing all of these things. Very few people think about that. We put the picture of these people that are perverts on the front of our magazines, and we glorify them, and have a special night where they give their awards to each other for who's the biggest pervert, who's, who's, who's the biggest jerk, and the world glorifies that. But I guarantee you, Mike and Pat Heiser back here are heroes in the faith. They've given their life to do that. We had Jeff and Autumn here last night. I don't see them this morning, but they were here last night. and They've been in India. We've got our Bible college students. There's many of you that are doing things. There's good things happening. There's more than you'll ever know about. And God told him, He says, I still have 7,000 left. And look at this. In verse 19, after the Lord told him all of these things, he departed, found Elisha, and anointed Elisha to replace him. That's all that's recorded. And let me say to you that he never did the other two things that God commanded Elisha to do. He was talking to him in an audible voice. There's no way he could miss this. An audible voice told him, go anoint Hazael to be king over Syria. And go anoint Jehu to be king in the place of Ahab. Elijah didn't do two out of three things that God spoke to him in an audible voice. And you can prove that because in the 8th chapter of 2 Kings, his successor, Elisha, is the one who anointed Jehu. Or excuse me, maybe it was the 8th chapter is where he anointed Haziel. He anointed Haziel to be king over Syria. And in the ninth chapter of 2 Kings is where he anointed Jehu to be king over Israel. Elisha wouldn't have done it if Elijah had have done it. Elijah failed to do two-thirds of the things. And I am only reading between the lines, but it appears that he was so put out, he was so depressed, he was so despondent, that he was ready to get somebody to replace him. So he went and got Elisha to be his replacement, but he didn't do the other things that God told him. You know, because of that, in the 20th chapter, there was, um, who was the guy? Benadad, the king of Syria, came and surrounded Samaria, and they had this terrible famine, and these terrible things that happened, people killing each other and eating their own children because of the famine and stuff, because Elijah did not do what God told him to do. Naboth was killed by Ahab, and Ahab took over his vineyard and did this terrible thing to him. And did you know what? That wouldn't have happened if Elijah would have anointed Jehu to be king in his stead. People died because of his disobedience. But, despite all of that, Elijah walked with the Lord to such a degree that in 2 Kings chapter 2, Elijah was one of only two people that have lived that didn't die and he was caught up in the presence of the Lord. There's so many things that we can learn from that. I'm just about out of time. But there's so much you can learn. One of those things is that again, God's never had anybody perfect working for Him yet. Elijah saw some wonderful things happen. But you know what? He got caught up in his own pride and because of it ran away from the mightiest revival that had ever happened in the face of the earth which was not God's will. God rebuked him for it but he didn't let up. He maintained his own righteousness and woe is me. Everybody should pity me instead of humbling himself. And because of it, God told him to go anoint his replacement. He did that. But he didn't do the other things. And despite the fact that he didn't follow God perfectly. He still walked with God and had a relationship with God so that he was literally caught up into heaven by a whirlwind and escaped death. Boy, there's just volumes that that speaks. That shows that, you know, you don't have to be perfect for God to use you. And there may be some of you here that feel like you've already gone so far, that I've already blown it. Maybe you didn't do something that God told you to do. I doubt if you've, you've uh, denied two-thirds of what God spoke to you and that because of it, people have died and nations have uh, gone to war and things have happened because of your disobedience. All of that happened because of Elijah because he was self-willed and didn't do his own thing. I mean, did his own thing instead of doing what God told him. And yet, he still had a relationship with God where God talk, took him up into heaven by a whirlwind. And he still called fire down out of heaven again in 2 Kings chapter 1. Twice he called fire down out of heaven. He was still walking with God. He still had the power of God. The Bible says in Romans chapter 11, verse 29, that the gifts and the callings of God are without repentance. I want you to know, regardless of how much you've messed up, God has never used you because you were usable, because you're the perfect person. It's by grace. There's things that we can do to make ourselves usable and make ourselves more sensitive to God. I'm not saying that we don't do that. But God uses us in spite of who we are, not because of who we are. And if you've messed up, take a lesson from Elijah and realize that, you know, God can still use you. God can still do mighty things through you. And God has a plan for you. I've used this example before that God's at least as good as a GPS system. You know, if you make a wrong turn, the GPS system doesn't say, You idiot, it's over. You'll never get there now. I'll never give you any more directions if you don't follow me. No, it'll just say recalculating and there's a way, to make, even after you've made a wrong turn, there's a way for you to get back on track. And God has a way for you to get back on track. So man, what a, what a great example. These things were given so that we could learn through these examples. You know, I'd like to encourage you that if God has spoken to you again, you need to follow through. And we would love to have you here. It's a healthy place. It's a good place. It would change your life. I really believe that. Praise God. Also, I was asked to announce that we've still got a lot of food left over. And if you want any food, all of the breakfast stuff, fruit and and things like that, and crackers and cheese and stuff, we've got a lot of stuff back there and it will be available. Let me ask those of you who feel that God wants you to come here to school or even if you haven't committed to it but you're praying about it and you feel stirred in your heart, I just want to ask you to stand and I'm going to lead you in prayer and then we'll dismiss you and let you go. But we want to pray that God's will come to pass in your life. Thank you, Jesus. Father, I thank You for all of these that are standing. And Father, we just thank You so much. What a privilege it is to know You and then to think that You would use us. That You have a plan for our life. That Father, we can do something significant. That our lives can be a channel for You to flow through to someone else. Father, we just thank you for that privilege, for this opportunity. And thank you that you've stirred these people up, that they're praying about it, that they are feeling a stirring. And we agree that if this is what you want them to do, Holy Spirit, I believe that you just give them such a peace about this that they will know that this is what they're supposed to do. If it's not what they're supposed to do, Father, I believe that you'll give them an absolute total peace about not coming here. We are just praying that Your will be done and we are Your sheep. We hear Your voice. And Father, I pray that we'll take a lesson from Elijah and not do what he did, but obey this still small voice. Father, whatever You're speaking into their hearts, we believe that You are releasing Your anointing and Your power, Your provision towards them to accomplish what You are leading them to do. And Father, we pray. And we believe that We just make this proclamation that we will obey your voice, that we will follow you, and that the voice of a stranger we will not follow. Father, we agree, and we speak that, and we thank you, and we believe that every person here is going to respond positively to what you're telling them to do. And we agree and receive that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Praise God.